Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. We're going to be talking about making your own potassium recommendations for your farm. This has been a, a big nutrient when you look at the total pounds of potassium uptake by the various crops that you're raising. It will surprise you how much potassium your crop needs to take up. Now, I'm not talking about removal necessarily, but your crop needs to take in a lot of potassium because it is so critical to the stalk, to the root system, to the plant in general. And it's also a big deal for yield. So we'll talk about potassium on today's program. We'll also be taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844 44 ag phd or you can email us radio at agphd.com brian we've been making our own potassium recommendations on the farm for a long time now and it was interesting because uh, both you and i went to college uh, got degrees and took a lot of ag classes that told us oh we've got lots of potassium in our soil but it wasn't ending up in our crop yeah what I heard when I was in college was, well, there's so much natural potassium in the soil, you shouldn't need to fertilize for it. Now, maybe I misheard something, or maybe something else got said that would have led me the correct direction, but the thing is, most of the potassium that's in anybody's soil is held in feldspars. Feldspars are rocks. Rocks do not break down quickly and release nutrients for your crop. You've got to fertilize with potassium. And I would just say this. We look at, I, I was telling somebody the other day, I, I'll bet you that in the last five years, I've looked at 10,000 soil tests, 10,000. And I bet you it's not more than 500 where I've said, oh, that's a really good potassium level. Potassium is chronically short on farms all over the world. It is the number one nutrient that I feel most people need to be looking at much closer, especially in drier regions, because potassium is the number one nutrient that a corn needs, more than nitrogen even. And the way it gets into the plant is with water. So if you're in a dry area, think about it for just a second. That means you have less water, right? So if you have less water, that means less potassium will get into the plant. The only way you can overcome that is by having a higher concentration of potassium in the soil, which is why we talk not only about parts per million, but about base saturation on potassium. Because magnesium competes directly with potassium. And if you don't believe that, just take any high magnesium soil, and then you take that exact same soil, put a crazy amount of potassium on there, and you just test your tissue, your plant tissue. What will happen when you put all that on is your magnesium level will go down in the plant tissue analysis and your potassium will go up. They compete directly against each other, which is why the ratio of magnesium to potassium is so important. Because if you overdo it on either one, you got an issue. But what I'm saying here is where we see the issue almost all the time is it's too much magnesium and too little potassium. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. At least, I mean, like you said, we get to look at thousands and thousands of soil samples, and we were able to make some pretty good calls on this just because we see so many different soils from all over. Now, that's not saying that everybody's got an abundance of magnesium. There are definitely some soils that don't, but uh, for the most part, right. there's there's a lot more mag out there than there is potassium. Okay, so let me let me tell two other quick stories. I would, I a lot of people 
talk about higher soybean yields. And I would say on our farm, what led to higher soybean yields was two things. It was drain tile and it was adding a lot more potassium. The other thing is when we started five years ago testing every soil test grid point, we do one acre grids, we have lots of points, but we tested every GPS point against what the yield was right there and then charted it out. And it was plain as day to say, oh, higher yields, that's where we have higher levels of potassium. So I don't have to be real smart to figure this one out. It's like, no, we got to put more K out there, then we'll get higher yields. You know, the other thing is better stock quality. And, and a lot of times you talk about potassium yeah. with better stocks. And uh, I'll hear farmers say, well, I only had a problem in this one area. This is exactly what Brian was talking about. Take your soil test there then and see what's going on. Look at your planting population. Look at what you have for your soil test. I mean, look at all those factors and see what, what's happening. Maybe you had a pocket where you had a nematode issue or a rootworm issue or something like that. And you say, okay, here, I can explain it because I had this bug. But a lot of times what we see is as fertility varies quite a bit in as you go across most fields, you might have an area that's pulled out high yield for a long, long time, and you've been putting back a blanket rate of K across the field, over-fertilizing in the poor-yielding areas and under-fertilizing in your best areas of the field, and it's costing the yield on both ends. Right. Yep. So, yeah, potassium is just such an incredibly important nutrient. It is a major nutrient. When we talk N, P, and K, when I look at soil tests and when I, when I talk to farmers, I feel like most people are putting adequate amounts of nitrogen out there. I'm not saying in all cases. There's a lot of nitrogen being used. Phosphorus isn't bad, uh, but it's the potassium is the one that's really, really lacking. So that, that's what I would say. Also, when we talk about ratios, we often bring up phosphorus to copper and phosphorus to zinc. The only one, Darren, that I can really come up with that's a, a, a big ratio is magnesium to potassium. I'm saying the only one I can come up with, with for potassium. Other than that, looking at the magnesium to potassium ratio, just look at your percent of base saturation potassium. We want that in the 4 to 8% range. And when it is, usually we find that that soil is fairly well balanced and potassium is fairly available. Yeah, the big one I like to look at too is just your planting population to potassium ratio. That's yeah, a big one. Point. If you, if you want to plant yep. 35,000, 38,000 corn plants, or you say, oh man, my... I want bigger stocks on my soybeans. Get your potassium up. That makes a huge difference on your standability. And, you know, I think about it this way, too. If you want a little more forgiveness in the fall that I might not be able to get stuff out of the field as fast as I would like, if you get plenty of potassium and you pick good hybrids, good soybean varieties, you're going to have plants that stand very well for you and wait for you to get there with the combine. We're going to talk about making your own potassium recommendations on today's Ag PhD radio show. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Morton Buildings has served the American farmer for more than 120 years. From manufacturing our own building components to constructing your building, Morton takes pride in being the industry leader in post-frame construction by providing a quality building and exceptional customer service. A Morton is built to last for generations. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. My mom's got a new case I extractor and it can do it all. Bail hay all day. 
See in the dark with its powerful LED lights. Hook up all the implements. Ship like a race car? Steer with ease. And it can also cool my juice box. Yeah, her case IH tractor can do everything she needs it to. Looking for a tractor that can do it all? Check out caseih.com. This is Officer Jones calling for backup. 10-4, location? Graver, back 40. Looks like we've got Palmer Amaranth, Kosha, some common water hemp. Resistant weeds. Copy that. You'll need a good tank mix partner. I'm sending tough 5 EC. Come out with your hands up! Guys, we're surrounded. Crack down on repeat offenders. Add Tough 5EC to your post-emergence tank mix. Learn more at toughonweeds.com. Always read and follow label directions. Tough is a registered trademark of Belgian crop protection. Maverick corn herbicide from Valent USA has proven to be a key part of growers' success in fighting problematic weeds. But don't take it from us. Take it from agronomy manager, Nate Honek. We've seen tremendous weed control that was sprayed in dry, hot conditions with uh, very little rain within two weeks after application. Very easy application. Definitely tank mix well with the various products we used. Visit valent.com backslash maverick to learn more about Maverick Corn Herbicide. Always read and follow label instructions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, talking about making your own potassium recommendations. Uh, it's certainly a big nutrient, and if you can make your own recommendations and dial them in on a small basis, acre per acre or smaller if you can, uh, you can really feed your crop a little better. You can per- perhaps save some money on nutrients, not waste any money by putting too much out in certain areas, those kinds of things. But ultimately, make more money with your crop, and that's what we're all going for here. Uh, you can call in if you've got a question or want to discuss this topic. It's 844-44-AG-PHD. You can also send us an email if you've got a question, radio at agphd.com. Head out to California to start here. We've got Bo Shropshire on with us right now, uh, who's a consultant out there. How you doing, Bo? Yeah, I'm doing great. Um I'm not actually in California today. I'm at a Kinsey Consultants can, uh, can, uh, Conference in um, Cape Girardeau, Missouri. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Awesome. Well, one of the topics at, at many of those conferences is looking at base saturation of nutrients. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Why, why that's important and what you look at? When do you look at the parts per million of potassium and when do you look at the base saturation percentage? Well, I try to I try to start start off on the front end looking at uh, base saturation because it's important for me first off to understand what the cation exchange capacity is of a particular farm, and then um, you know where everything else lines up because it's important to understand where that calcium magnesium is and be able to get the potassium in the right range and as base saturation and and dealing with sodium as well. So yeah, it's a for me it's a I look at the parts per million, but my main deal is looking at that base saturation percentage because there's so many, so many crops that you need to have that uh, base saturation up, you know, at two to five percent. But if you're talking about, you know, a tree, or you're talking about, you know, even even some a crop like cotton or whatever, you know, you want to get those potassium base saturation percentages up into six and seven percent. 
Yeah, for for growers with heavy soils, Bo, they're like, oh no, that's going to cost some money. For growers with light soils, it might be, oh, well, that's no problem. I can do that in one shot. Uh, You get to work with a lot of different soils, a lot of different crops. Uh, What do you do for those guys with the the really high exchange capacity soils? I mean, obviously this could end up being a multi-year build for them. Oh yeah, and that's the other thing you need to do. You know, it's it's you really need to look at a program approach. You know, you may not be able to get everything done in one year. You know, first off, just to be able to get it accomplished, uh, let alone you know get it paid for. But you know, one of the things that I like to do, and of course we, you know, we're dealing with high pHs down here. So one of the things that I like to do is to pay attention to maybe getting some compost in there. I mean, I love compost and and being able to either use pin run or, or a well made compost to be able to get my potassium percentages up uh, base saturations that way, number one, and then supplement it with, uh, if I'm looking just for bulk, like say for alfalfa, and I don't have uh, very high chlorides in my soils, then I'll use uh, muriate of potash. You know, we'll use that uh, potassium chloride to, to get that potassium numbers up on it, like alfalfa, for instance, you know. And so, but if I've got a crop that I'm, I'm concerned with about, uh, you know, bulk size and flavor, you know, then I'm going to probably use potassium sulfate, and which makes a huge difference in flavor, you know, because that potassium is going to help sweeten things up, but that sulfur uh, really, you know, affects taste a lot. Now, a lot of people don't understand how that, how that quite works, but it's amazing how that works. Yeah, you know, a lot of growers have got gardens, and they'll say, man, I don't know why, but my peppers and my produce, just they don't have as much sweetness as something I might be getting at the store or from a, a farm stand, those kinds of things. And and there's a lot of tricks to that, to, to getting better taste and better nutrient composition, actually, in a lot of things. And sulfur is one of those things that really helps. Now, you say potassium also sweetens things up, too? Oh, yeah. You know, if you, if you don't have, uh, you know, if you've got uh, watermelons, for instance, and you don't have, you know, good potassium levels, you know, you're just going to have a, a watermelon that basically has no taste. All it is is you're playing with texture. You know, you don't have any taste. So you get the potassium up, and uh, and it affects lots of different crops, you know, not only watermelons and cantaloupes and stuff, but, you know, you're looking for those for good potassium levels in lemons and, and, and oranges and all that kind of stuff. You know, you start talking about, you know, tree fruits. Yeah, that potassium is important, even as well as, you know, you guys don't get to see many date palms. You know, even here, date palms use a tremendous amount of potassium to help sugar them up and, and make them taste right. Oh, you you actually sent us a box of palms and my oh my or dates I should say my goodness were those things sweet I can only imagine oh, yeah. what you had for potassium there. <laughs> yeah, you just you know on those particular deals, uh, we were those were getting pushed up into about four percent base saturation percentages on the potassium on those dates, and we were doing that partially with compost and also with. Uh, you know, uh, potassium sulfate. So, yeah, it's a, it's an important thing. You know, people just don't. Unfortunately, there's a lot of people look at potassium, and they may run a test and they go, "Oh, I have lots of potassium," but that's not the, that's not necessarily the case. What you want to look at look at is uh, available potassium, because you know you may have a lot of potassium in the soil, but it's not available to the plant. So you've got to make that potassium available. 
All right. Now that brings up a great point because we hear this a lot about, uh, well, there's nutrients in our soil that are unavailable. And I'm not sure where this got started, Bo, but I, I talk to folks that say, well, if it's on my soil test, I should be able to get it, right? Because they pulled it out with an acid at the at the lab. Well, we don't have roots putting out acid in every single square inch of soil out there. Is that part of this that we just can't possibly find all those nutrients in one year? Yeah, you know, you're using some really, you know, strong acids to strip out some of those elements, you know, to get them on a soil test. But, but uh, you know, the, the root hair is going to put out a certain acid exudate to be able to draw those, those nutrients into the plant. And so, you know, you've also got to figure out, all right, do I have enough nitrogen there? Do I have enough calcium there? Uh, do I have, I have enough copper there to pull those elements in over the top to get them into the plant? So there's, there's that balance of nutrition there. It helps bring those nutrients into the plant. But, yeah, that, uh, the acid exudates at the root hair is what helps it tremendously in bringing those, that, uh, those elements into the plant, whether it's alfalfa or whether it's, you know, lettuce or broccoli or cauliflower, any of those kinds of things. All right, another question that I've got for you. You get to deal with a lot of sodium issues out there, too. Do you find when you've got an excess of sodium that makes it tougher to work with potassium? Do you have to deal with the sodium first, or, or oh, can you be working on everything all at once? Most definitely, Darren. One of the things is, you know, when you look at base saturation percentages, if, you're, if your base saturation percentage on potassium is lower than sodium, okay, those two molecules are virtually the same size. When the plant has a need for potassium, if there's excess sodium there in a, in a, uh, in a percentage above the potassium, it's going to pull the, that sodium in first, and that's going to go right out to the edge of the growing point. You know, I've got guys that will say, they'll look at deals and say, well, you know, uh, you know I've got wind burn on my melons. Uh, no, you don't have wind burn. You've got salt burn. You know, it may have been it, with the wind may have blown a little bit, but that's got nothing to do with it. Your sodium is in a higher percentage than the potassium, and when that plant's draw, you know, trying to draw that potassium in to create that sweetness and create that sugar and increase, improve your bricks, you know, it's it's going to pull that sodium in first, and that sodium is going to go right out to the growing tip, and it's going to, you know, you're going to get an eighth a quarter inch margin burn on the edge of the leaf, and like I said, everybody calls it wind burn. And it's not wind burn. It's certain, certainly a, a burn of, of the sodium. So, yeah, you've got to pay attention to sodium. If you don't, you're going you're gonna to get in the jackpot. We're talking about balancing soils here with Bo Shropshire out in, well, not today, normally in California, today down in Missouri. Right. But uh, there are just so many things that, that you learn over the years, and, uh, and Bo has been so kind once again to share some of those things with us. Bo, thank you so much. Really appreciate hearing about potassium. Good luck down there at your conference. You bet, and I, uh, I'm, I apologize for not being there next week. I was really hoping to do that. But anyway, we'll catch you next year, and I hope to be there in July at the all right. At the uh, field day. Yep. That sounds so. great. Yeah. If you get a chance to meet Bo, Bo is a character and full of knowledge to share as well. Uh, we'll talk more about potassium recommendations right after this. Stay tuned. If you look close enough, you can see the hidden potential within your fields. That's why an agro-liquid nutrition plan starts with the crop and identifies the precise combination of primary nutrients while focusing on the support of secondary and micronutrients. So every nutrient is working in harmony for your crop to reach its full potential. 
maximizing growth while offering lower use rates. Apply less, expect more, precisely. Find an AgroLiquid dealer at agroliquid.com. Can you predict the future? I can't. That's why when I'm planting soybeans, I treat with Heads Up Seed Treatment. With more than 15 years of research, Heads Up offers proven protection against both white mold and sudden death syndrome. So no matter what the year throws at you, you've already taken that first step to be prepared. Don't let your beans suffer from disease when they're just starting to look their best. Tell your seed dealer you need Heads Up Seed Treatment. Learn more at headsupst.com. Every season, you're collecting yield data on virtually every acre of your farm. But what good is your data if you never use it? Put it to work with Verify. Verify takes yield data directly from your combine and instantly generates variable rate fertility maps based on crop removal, ensuring your crops get what they need right where they need it, no matter what equipment you run. Go to Verify.com to find an expert to help you get started. That's V-R-A-F-Y.com. The hard-working, independent spirit of rural America can often be isolating. It's not often discussed, but mental health issues are real. Now's the time to lead by example, talk openly, and show that a strong mind is just as important as a strong body. FMC is proud to be working toward ending the misconceptions around mental health. Through awareness, guidance, and action, together we can uproot the stigma. Because the challenges you face are getting bigger every year, BASF is committed to helping with more than boots on the ground. We're committed to boots in the mud, boots on the steps of your truck, your tractor, your combine, the linoleum tiles of your coffee shop, the concrete of your co-op, the gravel in your shed. So we can listen, learn firsthand, help right now to ensure success. BASF, helping you do the biggest job on earth. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. listening to Ag PhD Radio talking about potassium recommendations, but not just how much do you need or what should you shoot for. Also, making your own recommendations. And this is something that as we talk to farmers really everywhere around the world, uh, one of the questions we ask is who makes your potassium recommendation? Who makes your fertilizer recommendation in general? And far too often, it's a huge majority is well, my fertilizer dealer tells me what to use. And the follow-up question I have is, well, who are you buying your fertilizer from? Well, the same dealer. And you think about that, uh, that that leads to a lot of potential issues there. And I think there's a lot of great fertilizer dealers out there that are very conscientious about this. But here's another thing too. How much soil testing are you doing and what are you basing your recommendations off of? Too often we're trying to cut corners on, well, I don't want to pull samples on small grids or small zones. I want big zones. Maybe I have just a few samples for a lot of acres. It's tough to do a good job with that recommendation because you see it with your yield monitor, how much variance there is in the field. 
So we'll, we'll continue this discussion. We'll also be taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can email us radio at agphd.com. Real happy to have Matt Swanson with us right now, farms out in Illinois and beyond. How you doing, Matt? I'm doing great, Darren. How are you? We're doing well. Uh, I know I know you like to make your own fertility recommendations for your farm and, and look very closely at these soil tests. Uh, talk to us about that. What what did you notice when you started doing your own recs for fertility? Yeah, so often what we've seen after, um, gosh, probably by the time I started doing it, 20 years of variable rate essentially since the beginning was, you know, our, our soil test levels were were you know by the university recs any anyway more than adequate um but we were still seeing a lot of variability in in our response to potassium applications so we'd have places that responded well to it and uh, places that didn't really respond at all um so we knew we were we were missing a piece there and that's when we started doing you know some more tissue testing and things like that yeah, soil tests are one piece of the equation, finding out what's out there, but I, I like uh, looking at tissue tests and other things to see what's actually getting into our plants. For for us, we were, we were just talking with Bo Shropshire here, who's a Neil Kinsey consultant, and he was talking about how uh, other nutrients can certainly impact uptake of certain things like potassium. And he was mentioning, hey, if you had excess sodium, for example, that's going to screw things up. Your potassium's not going to get in there. Your your plant is going to grab onto that sodium and take it in just like it was taken in potassium. Uh, there, there's just a lot of balanced things out there. And you're right, just because your levels may be at one uh, point or another doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get the response you're looking for. Yeah, that's right. And and. You know, we since moved to kind of a a split application of potassium, even, and uh, we're actually just I'm sitting in the field watching a tractor just start working ground for the spring right now. Um, but uh, it's um, it's interesting to see, especially you know when we started looking at tissues and saying, hey, you know, what's our most limiting factor? It's interesting, even you know the soil itself a lot of times will work against us. Um, and getting our potassium uptake depending on, you know, moisture content and other things. So it's something that it seems, you know, easy the way I learned it the first time. And then, you know, subsequently we've had to relearn it a few more times. You know, one thing that throws a wrench in, in the whole equation too, is if it just doesn't rain. And when you get those years where you're right at a peak uptake timing and the rains just aren't coming, it, it absolutely limits how much, uh, or how many nutrients are going to be in that soil solution and how, how much the plant can pull in. Years that we get lots of rain, like August rains for our soybeans when they're in high potassium demand, my goodness, we can get a lot of yield. Uh, so that, that rainfall can make a big difference too. Absolutely it does, and that's definitely something that we've seen borne out in not only our, in our yield results and our trial work, uh, but also in, in our tissue and sap tests when we were running the sap tests. It's just, especially if you have a, you know, a double bond clay, like what of a lot of our soils on, in Western Illinois are, um, that lack of rain, you shrink those soil colloids up and all of a sudden your potassium availability gets really poor really fast. And, you know, a lot of guys like to, con, you know, attribute their good soybean yields maybe to, to August rainfall. And, and that's part of it, but it's, it's only part of the story. The rain is one thing, the, the potassium availability is the, 
second, and I would argue almost as important thing. Yes, I agree. Okay, I know we've talked about magnesium before, and and that is an interesting one to try to get magnesium levels up on tissue tests without getting excessive in the soil to, to make it happen. Um, one thing we've noticed on our farm has been the ratio of magnesium to potassium being a big factor, where if we're at a 2 to 1 or even a 1 to 1, we seem to have more yield. Have you noticed any uh, relation there with magnesium and potassium on your farm? Uh, not yet, because typically we our mag levels are are very very high, especially in crops. So, um, typically we're having to fight to to get to drop some mag out. Uh, we've got a couple ways of doing that um, to get it even close to what our potassium levels are um, for for top end yield. Typically, our mag levels, as far as where we want to see them on a on a tissue test, especially, are are much too high. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Brian was talking about that before too. He goes, honestly, he said a lot of people that we, the soil test we look at, they've got too much mag, but there's certainly areas where there's not enough as well. And just the relation of the various nutrients here to potassium, today's topic can make a big difference. If one thing's way out of whack, Bo Shropshire was talking about way too much sodium. Uh, and Matt Swanson here that we're talking to has got too much magnesium. There are just other things out in the soil. It's just not perfect, Matt. It's not easy out there farming. No, it would be a lot nicer if you could just grow them in a, in a soil solution or a, or a liquid solution even when it wouldn't it be, be a lot more expensive, I reckon. All right. You mentioned split applying potassium. And in crop applications, we get a lot of questions about that. There's a lot of different foliar type products. Are, are you doing it through a wide drop or foliar? Or, or what do you do if you need some in-season K? So we've done it a couple different ways. We've done, um, we've spun it on. Um, we've Y dropped it on in both, you know, an OO12 or a liquid potassium chloride and a KTS product. Um, we've looked at running like an airflow with a kind of a dry drop situation. Um, any of them seem to work. Our, our biggest thing really is timing the application of the product and kind of based on what the product is, you know, uh, uh, potassium chloride, typically we see like a 15, 20, 30-day window where the availability is the highest after application. So we've kind of got to tailor when we're doing it to what the product is and how we're applying it. So we're actually looking at some trial work this year where we're going to do a broadcast application of chloride and AMS, you know, mid-June or pre-R1 in our beans and, and see how that works out uh, because we've seen it show up in our in-season soil testing um, really well, but that, that effect only lasts for, you know, about a 20, 21-day window um, before it starts to drop off again, so. Yeah, interesting. Interesting stuff to track, too. Like you say, we're going to track results and, and do some trial work on our farm, and we always recommend that. A lot of times you'll hear different ideas on a show for everybody listening that we just say, hey, here's something we're trying. It's not something that we've uh, adopted because we've got 10 years of history that it really, really works everywhere. But uh, we, we talk about a lot of these experiments that we do, and we encourage everybody at home, do some experimenting and, and measure it in a variety of ways and see what you can learn about trying fertility just a little bit different uh matt i know you're super busy i really appreciate the time really appreciate the advice and good luck to you guys as you get rolling in the field i appreciate it darren you bet 
talking about making your own potassium recommendations. Uh, Matt just mentioned there too, they've been doing variable rate for 20 years or so, as long as that technology has been widely available. Uh, and it's something that's proven itself out. You, you see it, and I mentioned this before, as you drive the combine through the field, you see those yield numbers bounce up and down. You don't always see it on the plants. But all of a sudden, 200 bushel corn becomes 230 or becomes 170. And sometimes you think, oh, well, now we're back into the 200 bushel stuff. That's good. No, there's something going on in that 170 bushel area. And there's something going on in the 230 bushel area. That's why making your own Rex is so important. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Are you ready for better efficiency, more productivity, higher yields? Then you're ready for John Deere Precision Technology, which starts with three core pieces. First, a G5 display gives fast views of your work and a window to future technology. A Starfire receiver gives you sub-inch repeatable accuracy without an RTK base station. And a JD-Link modem gives you a live view of your entire operation. Get precise and talk with your John Deere dealer or visit johndeere.com backslash base. Effortlessly manage your farm fertility with Verify. Verify takes yield data directly from your combine and instantly generates variable rate fertility maps based on your nutritional goals. Whether it's building soil, balancing nutrition, or maintaining fertility. And with full integration with John Deere Operations Center, Verify can send recommendations directly to application equipment, no matter the color. Join Verify today at Verify.com and keep your farm moving. Maverick Corn Herbicide from Valent USA has proven to be a key part of growers' success in fighting problematic weeds. But don't take it from us, take it from farmer Rob Schaefer. Residuals have become a big part of our chemical programs with trying to battle water hemp and also mare's tail is our big one. It's done a real good job of controlling those. You don't have to you know, put a bunch of gallons in your sprayer, cover a lot of acres that way. Visit valent.com backslash maverick to learn more about Maverick Corn Herbicide. Always read and follow label instructions. What's the difference between John, who bought Enlist One Herbicide, an Instinct Next-Gen Nitrogen Stabilizer, and Tom, who bought Enlist One and Instinct Next-Gen and used True Choice? Only about $5,000 extra in Tom's pocket. Choose True Choice and get up to 10% back. It's really as simple as that. Start saving at Corteva.com slash save more. On your farm, you spend thousands on fertilizer every season. But how do you know if any nutrient you apply is paying for itself? Build a fertility plan like never before with Verify. With Verify's soil point to yield analysis, you can automatically see the connection between your soil test and yield data to see which fertilizer dollars will make you money and which won't. Go to Verify.com to get started today. That's V-R-A-F-Y dot Control the toughest weeds with overlapping residuals. Lock in the longest lasting control for your soybean fields. A pre-emergence application of an authority brand herbicide plus a post-application of Anthem Max herbicide establishes the overlapping residual control key to safeguarding your soybean seasons. This pairing is a heavy-duty economical strategy against Palmer Amaranth, Waterhemp, Kosha, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or lockin.ag.fmc.com today. Always read and follow all label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. 
We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today, talking about making your own potassium recommendations. Yes, very important nutrient. We talk about potassium quite often. I think a lot of folks focus on nitrogen, and I would say number two is easily phosphorus. But potassium is just super important. And we find with all the soil tests we get to look at, this one being one of the more common, well, probably the common primary nutrient that growers are struggling with having enough of. So that's why we're talking about it today. What do you look for on those tests and how do you build those recommendations for your farm? And just what do you need to know about potassium along the way? So we turn to uh, another of our friends here, Alan Perry. Uh, He works up in northern Maine and he's a a consultant up there uh, with Farm Technologies Network. How you doing, Alan? Hey, pretty good. We're enjoying a fairly mild winter here this year. So Everything is good here. That's wonderful. We had no snow on the ground as of this morning, but today it started snowing. So I didn't forget that it was winter here. Hopefully you guys don't get that. It's not summer yet. (laughs) No, no, it's definitely not summer yet. Uh, All right. We're talking about potassium, though, and uh, we get a lot of questions. The first one is, when should you apply potassium? There's a lot of growers that say, well, I've got to do it on the fall, in the fall, in my area, if I'm going to get it to work. But then again, we've got growers that say, all right, didn't get it done last fall. Can I still do it this spring and be effective? Well, uh, first of all, I guess I would say that not every farm is exactly the same. And so there might uh, what, what works for your neighbor might not necessarily work for you. But here's the rules we use. If you don't have excesses of calcium, magnesium, sodium, uh, so you have room in the soil to hold the potassium, we would recommend put it on as soon as you can so it has time to work and get ready for the crop. But we don't want to overload our soil system. So if you have calcium levels that are um, above 70, if you have sodium levels like California that are 10 and 15, uh, you may have a situation that doesn't work very well if you put the potassium on in the fall in those cases, it might get away before the crop needs it next summer. Yeah, we definitely don't want that. We don't want to put fertilizer out that we don't get to take advantage of because it's not free. And we want to be smart about what we're doing for the environment as well. Uh, All right. Talk to us about lighter soils. And a lot of times when you say, well, we don't want it to get away on us, it's it's those lighter, sandy, low organic matter soils. They, They don't have a lot of capacity to hold K, but by the same token, we need the K out there to raise our crops. So how do you manage that? Well, um, potassium is primarily responsible for the volume of the crop. So the number of beads and beans in the soybean pods, length of the corn cob, number of tubers and potato crops. So it's really critical that we try to get to the goals that the growers need to make money. Um, but on a, on a lighter soil, and on our test, we would say anything under a TEC of 8, the, the smaller the number, the more sandy it is, less clay. Um, it's, think of it like feeding a small child. Um, it has to eat, but you can't feed it once a week. Uh, you have to keep working at it every two hours or every four hours. Same way with this crop. We just need to keep feeding small doses throughout the growing season to get the pounds we need for the crop we want. 
One question that we've had, Alan, is around nutrient stratification uh, for growers in no-till and conventional. We've had a lot of guys notice, man, my strongest concentration of K is in the top inch or two of soil. Is that just due to plant residue breaking down, releasing K back to the soil? Is this something we should be worried about? What do you think about nutrient stratification of K? Uh, the first thing I would look at, our, your, your cheapest, best workforce are the microbiology of the soil, but they have to have oxygen. And some of our soils, especially with GPS now, where we put the wheel tracks exactly in the same place every year, we can get some compaction issues. We can, we can suffocate some of those microbes so that they're living in that top inch. We want to get them down four, five, six inches deep. Um, so be careful of oxygen and water management. That's calcium and magnesium and compaction. But, um, if you can get the oxygen there, um, then you can start to spread that nutrient level uh, in the top six inches. Um, if you have a big corn crop, obviously when that breaks down, it will end up on the surface quite a lot. So some of both, but uh, be conscious of the microbes. Speaking of potassium, there's a lot of different potassium sources out there, and, and some guys have their favorites, my favorites, usually whatever's the cheapest. <laughs> but uh, what do you see, Alan? You get you get access to potassium sulfate, potassium chloride, and other sources. Do you have favorites, or, or is it really a price game? Uh, we we want to make sure the grower is successful so we have to be very conscious of their budget first of all especially on some crops that aren't as valuable as others if it's wine grapes in napa valley you probably got a little more budget to work with um, potassium chloride often is sold as a cheaper product um, but if you give value to the sulfur and potassium sulfate um, it's a pretty good value as well one of the ones i really like is sulpomag uh, or K-mag. Uh, we get magnesium, we get sulfur, potassium, all in one molecule. If you need those three, like we do in northern Maine, that's a really nice product for us. Um, and potassium thiosulfate as a liquid is a nice product to work with. Those would be the two extra ones that I would uh, pick. Uh, speaking about liquids, we get a lot of questions about foliar feeding K. Uh, many of those come from vegetable crop farmers. What do you think about foliar feeding K? Does it work, or does that have to wash off leaves and mostly come in through the roots? Uh, what what kind of results have you seen with foliars? Uh, we've done a lot of work on potassium foliar in Florida on potatoes. They have a, uh, an exchange capacity on their soil less than two. It's that white beet sand uh, down there in the Everglades. Uh, and potassium are hungry for uh, I'm sorry, potatoes are hungry for potassium, and we were able to successfully feed that with a sprayer. Uh, we kept at it uh, virtually every week during the growing season. Um, as to how it gets in there, um, I guess I'm a little less certain. Uh, I know if you put it on, uh, it has a chance to get there, whether it goes through the roots after it washes off or through the leaves or both. Uh, but we were successful in changing the number of tubers. We did get it in the plant one way or another. You don't get it in if you don't put it on. No, that's right. I, and I do agree with what you said earlier. If you need potassium, the best time to do it is now. <laughs> get, get it going. Yeah. Get it out there as soon as you can. Uh, okay, so At least get to a minimum level so you're not uh, in, a, in a real problem spot. 
All right, now that's where I wanted to go because we talk about base saturation K, and uh, I know we had Bo Shropshire on also, and he had talked about, well, it depends on what crop you're raising as to, to how hard you need to push the K, but let's just say that you're in a situation where you've got a heavy soil and you've got a lot of holding capacity there. Maybe it's a 20 exchange capacity or something like that, and you want to build your potassium up to, let's just say, 4%. How much can you do at once? Is there a limit? I know a lot of times we'll hear Neil Kinsey say, well, you don't want to overdo the calcium when you're building that. Maybe 2,000 pounds of calcium is a max. How about potassium? What's what's a limit there or is there one? Uh, there's a few limits. I think the thing that comes to my mind is when you're building a soil, if you're not fixing a real uh, issue of uh, I need uh, to get more beans in a soybean pod, uh, balance. Don't get too far ahead on potassium if your calcium magnesium levels are way off, if you're really sulfur deficient or some of the other elements uh, are really out of line. Try to build them up together. So if uh, in your example, potassium was at 4%, uh, it's over the minimum. Uh, and so look first to see what else might be hurting you more. Uh, that's just to get good return on investment. I After like that, uh, on a big on a big soil like that, the budget's probably going to limit you for how many pounds you can put on in a year. <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, we are still farming, trying to make a dollar. So you're right; uh, it, it's not free, and it's it's going to get you at some point. And I do like your other point that you made, Alan. Then I'm going to have to let you run, but uh, just building everything up. Don't get all caught up in just one nutrient. Bring everything up to a minimum level first before you start getting carried away spending all your budget on potassium. Hey, Alan, we got to run, but really appreciate having you on. Always great information. Uh, good luck to you here heading into the spring. Thank you. See ya. Talking about making your own potassium recommendation on today's show, and we'll dive into the Ag PhD mailbag with your questions coming up right after this. What's the difference between John, who bought Enlist One herbicide, an Instinct Next Gen nitrogen stabilizer, and Tom, who bought Enlist One and Instinct Next Gen and used True Choice? Only about $5,000 extra in Tom's pocket. Choose True Choice and get up to 10% back. It's really as simple as that. Start saving at Corteva.com slash save more. Higher yield potential starts with the season-long systemic disease protection of Zyway brand fungicides from FMC. Zyway brand fungicides protect corn crops from key foliar diseases and support physiological benefits that help develop healthier, higher yielding corn for a difference you'll appreciate at harvest. Visit your FMC retailer for an at-plant advantage. Always read and follow all label directions. Your farm data platform might let you manage your fertilizer plan by helping you set sample points, determine management zones, or create fertilizer recommendations. With Verify, you can do all that. But what Verify does that no one else can is take yield data straight from your combine, correlate this info to soil test points, and immediately generate variable rate fertilizer maps based on your nutritional goals. Whether you want to build soil levels, balance your field for uniform nutrition, or maintain fertility levels by simply applying what you removed at harvest. 
and with full integration with John Deere Operations Center, Verify can send recommendations directly to application equipment, no matter the color. Sign up for your Verify account today at Verify.com and keep your farm moving. That's V-R-A-F-Y dot com. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. For the smallest investment with the biggest impact on yield, upgrade your planter with Germinator Closing Wheels from Farm Shop MFG. To see how we stack up against the competition at a fraction of the cost, call us at 712-520-6051. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Come on in. The Ag PhD Mailbag is about to begin. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio. We've reached the Ag PhD Mailbag time, where we take your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD or by email, radio at agphd.com. All right, uh, let's dive into that mailbag. Uh, first one I've got here is from Kurt, and he said, All right, you guys talked about spraying in the spring on semi-frozen soil. You also speak about when not to spray super early. But you did talk about if you do not use liquid 28% nitrogen as the carrier, you may not want to spray at all. My question is, for soybeans... Are you adding liquid 28% to your three pre's with Authority and Valor, Yellows, and Metribuzin? If so, how much nitrogen are you comfortable putting out ahead of beans? Yeah, we have definitely done that before, 5 to 10 gallons, something like that. I mean, it's no real big deal, and it's not like you have to do it, but we just worry about things starting to freeze up on us. Now, a lot of times what happens when we're out there spraying, it's a morning that's cool. Let's call it 28, 30, 32 degrees. It's sunny. So the temperature at the spray nozzle is going to be above 32 in a lot of cases, just literally because of the, the heat of the sun and heat coming off the ground and things like that. So we usually only have two to four hours we can spray on a lot of those kind of mornings. And it looks like this March could, be that op- could give us that opportunity again because the snow's gone. That's what we're looking for. But we just throw 28% in to be on the safe side or if it was extra cool, something like that, because we're, we're worried about things freezing up. Now, I, sure, ideally, I'd love to have it be warm, and I'd love the soil to be dry. But it just doesn't work that way very often for us in March. And I want to get the spring done in March because as soon as April hits, shortly thereafter, we are going hardcore on corn and immediately followed by soybeans. So we're trying to spread the workload and get that spraying done early. All right. Thanks for the question. Got this one that came in from Kurt. He said, could you apply 184060 in season in soybeans in early July to make nitrogen available at the right time? 
Uh, you would have the benefit of the phosphorus the next year if you tilled it in in the fall or the following spring. I'd like to get uh, a total of 200 pounds of 1846 out in soybeans in July. Would you do that? Would you expect leaf burn, or what would you suggest? Hmm. Uh, I don't like throwing dry fertilizer over the top of any crop because I do worry about leaf burn and running down the crop. Uh, I, I, I just, I don't know that I would do it that way. Definitely seen guys do ammonium sulfate in that type of application. Sure. But not that that many pounds. Right. But there too, I just don't like throwing dry fertilizer out over the top of any crop. So if you want to do some, just give it a shot on a few acres. For me and what I prefer and on how we get that, that nitrogen out in the middle of the season, it's injecting it or dribbling it down the row uh, in the center of the row or let's say even wide drops you just wide drops or something like that i don't care but then we're talking straight nitrogen because yeah the phosphorus for that year is a waste and now granted if you could get a really cheap deal on the phosphorus and you go well it's super cheap and i'll just put it out early even though i know i'm not going to get any benefit out of it out of it this year i guess but i don't usually like to handle it that way But, yeah, that's an interesting idea. All right. I got this one uh, that came in about uh, interlock. My question is, is it really necessary to use something like interlock when spraying pre-emerge herbicides behind the planter? For example, I plan on using Tendovo this year. And I understand if it's a 10 to 15 mile an hour wind, I can see why I'd want to protect that investment, obviously. But let's just say it's a calm day. Is there any point adding something like interlock in there? I guess I'm not familiar with interlock. Um, drift retardant? What are we talking here? He's talking about drift retardant. Yeah, if it, but my point is, is there something else in that? Do I get any other benefit out of it, or is it just drift retardant? Uh, drift retardant, deposition aid. Um, drift retardant, yep. Yeah, spray adjuvant. Okay, so, and that's, that's what I assumed, is there a spray adjuvant in there? Why in the world you'd ever throw a spray adjuvant on bare soil, I have no idea. So would I do that? No possible chance. I'm not, and as far as a straight drift retardant, I mean, my gosh. We're if, talking if about a bad, group, group 15 and an HPPD in that right. particular product he's using. I'm not worried, super worried about drift with either of those. They aren't volatile. No. No, no. So, no, we're not worried about the volatility. But a drift retardant isn't there because of volatility anyway. A drift retardant is there to keep things on target as you spray, not worrying, I mean, not not changing anything for what happens later. But all I'm saying is, I mean, you don't have to have unbelievably great coverage. You don't have to run 50 pounds of pressure or any of that kind of thing. I'm just, if I had to, I'd up the water, I'd decrease the pressure and call it good. But I don't know that in the history of our farm we've ever used a deposition agent to spray a pre so i don't see that it's necessary i just try to spray when the wind is relatively calm spray yeah, early in the yeah, morning if you're spray at night if you need it I for mean, it doesn't matter it's, it's a pre okay here's here's the other side of that though brian there's an hppd in there and if you're counting on the hppd for burn down 
then to get an HPPD oh, to work, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. you need something to get that HPPD sure. to work. But if you're just yeah, spraying yeah. on bare dirt, I totally agree with Brian. I don't understand why you would do that. Uh, I mean, just yeah, spray guess, when it's not windy. And maybe I've misunderstood. I thought you said pre rather than burn down. Well, but, that's what yeah, you said. You said burn down. Well, then an adjuvant is fine. But then I'm not going to use a surfactant. I'm going to use an oil. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I would switch to, I, I would use what that HPPD needs to work, uh, which would be right. an oil. Yep. 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 I agree. Okay, uh, get this one in from David, and I'm gonna I'm gonna stop about halfway through this. So I'm gonna stop a couple of times. He's got several different things in a very small paragraph, but uh, but it's okay. about lime application. He said we're in Western Kentucky. We spread lime according to soil test to a pH of seven. We used yield maps to determine our zones. Now he said they're spreading the lime according to soil tests, and Oof. I guess maybe they pulled the soil test then based on yield zones. I guess if you're if you're it doing it sounds scary. It sounds unbelievably scary to me. For yes. one, I don't know why you're going up to seven unless you're going to raise alfalfa. And two, I am afraid you're going to put lime in places you don't need lime. Yeah, I am too. Okay, so a couple of things. We spread lime, then used an inline ripper to take out two hard pans. But now I'm reading <laughs> that perhaps we should be looking at uh, soil samples in the top three inches compared to the three to six inches. Uh, also, we could put straight points on our field cultivator that would work as a ver vertical tillage tool. Um, we're 90% no-till, but every so often we're working things to go in the right direction. Uh, okay, so first of all, the is that soil pH going to be different 1 to 3 inches versus 3 to 6? Maybe. We we generally just pull a 6-inch sample and, and run with that because that's where most of the oxygen's at. It's where most of the microbial activity is well, at and where we influence the most. Yeah, a lot of times your three to six inch level is going to be lower in pH than the top three inches. And so what I'm saying is then if you only sampled the top three inches, you would think your pH is a little higher than what it actually is, which might not be bad. So then you aren't spending so much money on your line. Yeah, I... I guess I would just be really fussy where you're putting lime, and I agree with Brian the way he started. If if you're raising alfalfa or some crop that desperately needs a higher pH, then sure, lime it up to 7. But, wow, for our corn and soybeans, if we're at a 6.2 or 6.3, we're super happy at that point. We've got maximum nutrient availability, and the crops just seem to do a little better there than once we get over a 7, we run yeah. into some problems. Yeah, I would say this, though, Darren. I mean, a lot of guys where their, their pH is constantly falling, they're just trying to get ahead of it. So if that's the case here, I, you know, whatever. If you want to get up to 7, knowing that, oh, over time it is going to end up dropping all the way down to 6 in a few years, no big deal. But what we're usually after is trying to get the pH to where we want it and keeping it there. And so you have to be careful about all your nutrient applications like nitrogen and everything else. You're not overdoing it, not underdoing it. And then a lot of times the pH is a lot more stable. Well, thanks for the question, David. We really appreciate that. And, of course, if you have any soil tests or, or lime analysis you want us to take a look at, you can always send that in, radio at agphd.com. Had a fun time talking about potassium today. Have some confidence. You can make your own potassium recommendations if you know what you need uh, for your crop. Just utilize the Ag PhD fertilizer removal tool for that. Thanks for listening to today's program. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.